Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. Once again, I am Bill Arnold, and we've got a great hour planned uh, just for you because my friend John Bloom is here in studio. He is the co-founder and teacher at Desiring God. He's authored three books, Not by Sight, Things Not Seen, and Don't Follow Your Heart. But today in my hand, I'm holding his first devotional, I believe. First devotional, John? First um, intentional okay. devotional. I mean, like daily devotional. Okay. The other ones I've written can actually function that way because okay. they have short chapters. But Yeah. This is called True to His Word. 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. So if you're struggling to believe that God is truly faithful, do not budge. Stay in your car. Do not get out of your car. Spend the whole hour with us, and you will not regret it. So, John, first of all, congratulations. Rosie was asking you right before the show started how long this this took you to write. So I I gave a smart aleck answer, and now I want the real answer. (laughs) Well, there's a couple different answers because some some of the content I adapted from some of the articles that I've written in the past. Um, and so in some ways, those took almost as long as writing these, the ones that I wrote from scratch, uh, because the, the articles are usually 15 to 1700 words. Mm-hmm. These are no longer than well, about 500 words. And the way I write, I, I, like I, I can't just cut and paste. It, like it, I have to rewrite <laughs> right. everything um, in a sense. And so, um, it, but, but to answer your question more pointedly, um, I, I basically wrote most of the book between um, the end of May last year and the middle of August. So there was this compressed time in the summer. So every, most of the time that I wasn't working, and doing essential family stuff, mm-hmm. I was, I was working on this book. Yeah, and so. you've been busy with some family stuff. Yeah, uh, marrying a son last month. I know. Well, it's a, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to keep track of time. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's start getting into your your book. It's called True to His Word: One Hundred uh, Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. I love Ecclesiastes chapter three verse eleven that says, "He has made everything beautiful in its time." I love that verse. Yeah. Let's talk Me about too. let's talk about um he will bring beauty from your bygone shadow. What does that mean and let's let's discuss. Yeah, well, um I wrote this um <laughs> inspired by a particular crab apple tree in the f- little front yard of our inner city home. Um we had a we we for almost 30 years we lived we lived right in the like the, the the inner city of Minneapolis, and we had been involved in in various kinds of urban ministry for for quite a while, and um, so we so we we were living in this house. We planted these two crabapple trees um, when we moved in, and we had two children at the time. They were both very small, and so they were 
they were planted sort of in honor of those two children. <laughs> and um, the one on the on the north side grew normally, looked like a normal crab apple tree as it got older. But the but the one on the south side began um, to experience a shadow, meaning there was a hedge between the our yard and the and the our neighbors to the south and the neighbors always um maintained it they wanted to maintain it they had cultivated it before we got in and and so we left it to them and a mulberry tree somehow began to grow up in the hedge and and uh what i learned was mulberry trees grow very fast and um and while i, I was waiting for the neighbor to to take care of it and then they moved, but but by that time it was a bit. It was large. It was, and and the hedge went alongside a fence, and the and the hedge was in, intertwined in the fence, and so was this tree. And so I I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Plus, um, other neighbors and birds loved the mulberries, so I, <laughs> so we so we were just well, we'll just let people enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Well, it grew and grew and grew and and began to overshadow this crab tree, and. Um, and that meant that the crabtree wasn't getting sun, and what that produced was this: was that the, the crabtree began to push up to try to get light. It was competing against this mulberry tree for light. And eventually, I I did bring down the the mulberry tree, but by that time, in the middle I, of the night, no, <laughs> because by the neighbors had moved by then, so it wasn't right. a controversy. <laughs> but but. What I had was this was a deformed, um, well, not, deformed isn't really the right word, because uh, it wasn't deformed. It was doing the, it was doing what a tree does when it's in the shadows, which is fight for the sun. So sure. it's pushing up toward the sun. It just was an odd looking one. It was it was narrow and tall. It was much taller than the other crab tree. It looked weird. Just not as full. Not as full. No. Yeah. So um, it just looked odd. Mm-hmm. And one day it just hit me that. Um, that that's a it, it was a kind of a parable of what happens in our lives what suffering the shadow of suffering can produce in us or the or the shadow of well depression is a form of suffering and grief is a form of suffering anything that that brings a, a shadow over us and makes us push for for light and what can happen in the soul is it can create um um like the way our, our the growth of our souls, like it, it produces like aspects of our nature that might be um, a, a little, in some ways, over overproduced, mm-hmm. and others n- not quite as you know, like not quite as mature or as produced. Sure, um, it looks, it can look the soul of a, of someone who has endured prolonged, significant suffering can can look. Um, that that person's the way it shapes that person's temperament, the way that it shapes that person's outlook on life, um, the way it, it can shape that person's faith in God. It can look different than than a than a person who hasn't suffered. So, like the North Tree, which got plenty of light, you know, it was it was the way everybody expects it to look. Picture perfect crab apple tree, yep, right? Yep. But the other one wasn't. Mm. But it wasn't, and that's why I backed away from this word deformed. It wasn't deformed. It just had to. It just looked different because it had to fight for light in a way that the other tree didn't have to yeah. fight for light. And um, and I think that people 
I mean, I, I think I'm that way uh, because of different uh, seasons of spiritual darkness and suffering work. Aspects of my soul um, is different than others who haven't gone through what I've gone through. And I've noticed that about other people who have had to fight for light in ways that others haven't had to fight mm-hmm. for light. So that was the basis of this devotional. I took that, that what happened, turned it into a parable, a devotional parable, and used this text from, from Ecclesiastes. He has made everything beautiful in its time as the kind of the root text mm-hmm. because it's not a deformity. It's a beauty when you have to fight for light, but it might mean that it, that it looks different than what other people are used to. And so, um, but God turns that struggle and what it produces in the soul into something beautiful. I just drove by, we, we moved about a year ago and I drove by the old place not too long ago. And, um, I noticed that that crabapple tree has now started to, like, started to, to reshape itself mm-hmm. into to something that, that, that looks more like a crabapple tree. And that's also the way things happen, too, over time. So when you've come through, when, when you've been recently, recently through suffering, you, you, you might <laughs> feel conspicuous. <laughs> Something's different. But over time... God makes all things beautiful. Mm-hmm. John Bloom is my guest. His book is True to His Word, 100 Meditations of the Faithfulness on the Faithfulness of God. John, was a de- depression part of your story? Yes. Um, I mean, is that the mulberry that was blocking your light? Yeah. Depression? Um, yeah. I mean, it, it certainly in it, at different seasons. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, the kind of depression that I suffered during those seasons, um, you know, for 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 some, they they suffer a a kind of a constitutional depression that has that's more that's more of a physical illness. Not not it's not necessarily coming from a traumatic experience or or something like that. Um, mine was sourced just in my own spiritual. Wrestling. I had, mm-hmm. I've gone through dark nights of the soul, you can call them, um, or uh, uh, faith crises, but things that, that, that make me, have made me wrestle. And those seasons are dark, and that produces depression because what, de- what depression is is just a, is a deficit of hope. That's what it really is. And that's that shadow feeling. You just feel you're just struggling to find hope. And so, yeah, I've, I've had extended periods. Mm-hmm. And like all good devotionals, John has a prayer at the end of each short chapter. And this one is, Father, thank you for your promise to make everything beautiful in its time. I trust you to be faithful to cause the effects of my past shadows to work for beautiful good according to your purposes for my joy and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, John, we'll take a break. We'll come back. Uh, Next one, you get to pick. How's that? All right. All right, John Bloom is my guest. His devotional is called True to His Word, 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. We're going to take a break, but before we go to break, if you have not uh, gotten your Faith Radio app, oh, do it now. 
I mean, you got 90 seconds during the break, so just go and get your app. Text the word app to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll send you a link. You click the link, you have the app. It's a sweet deal. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. John Bloom is my guest. He's sitting right across the studio from me, and he's written a brand new devotional called True Is His Word, 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. And John was just saying during the break that if you're struggling to believe that God is truly faithful, this is a good book for you. Say more yeah. about that, John. Well, um, when when Moody Publishers, that's the that's the the folks who who uh, produced the book, they contacted me and asked me to write the devotional. And um, and I at first I thought, and they told me they wanted it to be a hundred meditations on the on the faithfulness of God, and I, th- I thought to myself, a hundred. Like, you know, my first question was, well, like, why not 31 or 40 or 52? <laughs> you know, like, 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 a, right. What, what, why 100? Why 100? Yeah. Uh, because my, I was wondering, like, am I going to be able to say 100 fresh things about the faithfulness of God? You know, um, but it t- took, it didn't take me much, very, very long at all to realize, like, the, the issue with the faithfulness of God is it doesn't take, I mean, everybody knows what it means. You know, I don't have to explain lots of things about, you know, what does the faithfulness of God mean? And I basically boiled it down to four words that it's the title of the book, true to his word. That's what, that's what, that's what we, when, when, that's what we mean when we're talking about anybody who's faithful. So a faithful person, um, when, when, when we use this and when the Bible talks about faithfulness, it's not talking about how full of faith a person is. It's talking about how trustworthy somebody is. That's what we mean. And so somebody who's trustworthy is somebody who is true to his word or true to her word. Mm -hmm. But what we struggle with is what does it look like? Because that's that's where when I realized, well, a hundred meditations really just begins to scratch the surface because... Because the the situations we face in life are so varied that um, we we need to learn how to recognize it. And most people, if they're looking for a devotional on faithfulness of God, they're 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 struggling with faith. Some some probably. I mean, they, they need they're they're going through a faith struggle of some kind, and and are looking for encouragement that God's going to be true to His word because for some reason. It doesn't appear like he is, or you know, it just—it's something's confusing, mm-hmm. and um, and that is a common experience in the Bible. I mean, all over. As soon as, as soon as you, you you just think about it that way, you see it everywhere. Saints throughout Scripture are wrestling with with God's promises because they they you know. They, he, he, he makes these promises, and then they find themselves in situations that doesn't look, look like those promises are coming true at all. 
And one of those chapters, um, it's chapter four in this book, and I, and I titled it, This I Call to Mind. And it's a meditation on what I think is arguably the most famous book on, or f- famous verse or a couple of verses in Scripture on faithfulness. It's where, it's where great is thy faithfulness, the hymn, comes from. It's, it's where a number of famous worship songs come from. And everybody, um, can, oh, most Christians, if they've been Christians for very long, can quote it from memory. The, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's from Lamentations chapter 3, um, verses 21 through 23. So, so that's, you know, we, we love that verse, but that, those verses are, are put right smack in the middle of the book of Lamentations, which is arguably the saddest, most tragic book in Scripture. And the writer of this, it's a poem. I mean, you, like most of this of this book is a, is this Hebrew poem that some that this writer crafted to pour out his heart over the tragedy that had befallen Jerusalem. The Babylonian had come in and they had destroyed Jerusalem. And what he, this this writer had witnessed was horrors. He saw. He saw priests massacred in the temple before they, the temple was burned to the ground. He saw women raped, young men enslaved. He saw, he saw children and elderly slaughtered in the streets and their bodies left for dead. He, the people were, were um, cannibalizing others. You know, it just, the, the, the horrors in this book are, are incredible. And, and, and he's trying to figure out what does this all mean in light of God's promises to be faithful to his people. And, um, and I'm not really going to get into to the, the body of, the, of this devotional other than to say, this is the human condition and the believer's condition often. Trying to figure out what this terrible circumstance means when God has you know, promise to bless his people and, and protect them and um, provide for them. And then comes the terminal diagnosis or then comes a, um, a disabled child or, or a failed marriage or broken marriage or, a, you know, um, some other failure or a prodigal child or, you know, whatever it is, just, just these terrible, um, difficult, confusing things that we try to put into the categories of God's faithfulness that we have in our minds, not all of which are, are accurate. It's just assumptions that we end up making. And this writer has just said that God had driven him into darkness without any light, enveloped him with bitterness and tribulation, had shut out his prayer. He said, my soul is bereft of peace and I have forgotten what happiness is. My endurance has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. Wow. So he's depressed. Yeah. And then he says, "Um, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And what was it that he recalled? 
he recalled that the God had, you know, prophesied that he would bring judgment on Israel if they continued in their disobedience, which they did. And so he recognized there's judgment here for him, for his people. But he also recalled that God is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he had promised to extend his steadfast love and mercy from everlasting to everlasting. And so that's what, so when he calls these things to mind and he has to create some new categories in his mind, in his, to, to understand that God is not failing in his word, but at any given time, our perspective on the way things look um, is going to, if that's all that we see is our own perspective, we are going to call things into question. We might shake our fists at God. But he calls to mind God's promises and says, and therefore, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, you've got to hear him saying it in tears, not in, tr- not in a triumphal spirit. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and that's really what this book is written. That's the perspective this book is written from: is to help, is to help believers learn to see God's faithfulness in the in the times and places where it's most confusing. And that's why that's why I pointed to this particular devotional because that's this this typifies the way this book was written. It's to help people learn to see glimpses of God's faithfulness in Scripture, so that they can bring that into their own confusing and difficult and suffering circumstances. Mm. And I love the prayer at the end of this one as well, John Bloom. Father, thank you for your unceasing steadfast love, your never-ending mercies, and your great faithfulness. Help me experience them anew today. And should I find my hope perishing, help me call to mind the promises that will revive my hope in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. And again, God is merciful and gracious. Fantastic. All right, John Bloom is my guest. His book is True to His Word, 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. We're going to have lots more with John in just a minute, but we want to make sure that you uh, don't miss any of the Faith Radio shows that you love, like Carmen in the Morning or Susie or any one of the shows that are on throughout the day. One of the best ways to do that is to make sure you get the Faith Radio uh, app. And the best way to do that is text the word app, APP, to 877-933-2484. Eventually that'll that'll work. We'll send you a link. (laughs) We are having some tech (laughs) trouble, but uh, that doesn't mean uh, that number's not going to be good. So keep that in mind. And you can always go to myfaithradio.com and check out any of the podcasts from any shows that you've missed, because we don't want you to miss anything. When we come back, lots more with John Bloom. True to his word, 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God is the name of his devotional. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Drive time, drive time. 
let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. So glad to be back with my friend John Bloom. His brand new devotional is True to His Word, 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. God is faithful even when you feel forsaken by him. Uh, John, let's talk about chapter number six in your book. Yeah, so um, the, the text... Uh, so let me, I'm, I'm going to... Let me just set it up here um, before jumping to the text because... What I, what I do in this chapter is I juxtapose two um, well-known psalms, Psalm 22 and Psalm 23. Both of them were written by King David or attributed to him. And they are very, very different psalms because in, in chapter 22, I'm sorry, in Psalm 22, um, David opens this psalm with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Those are the opening two verses of Psalm 22. Now, Every, just about every prob- everybody probably knows how Psalm 23 opens. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Now, you can't really get much different, all right? No, you can't. I mean, you've got... You've got... Um, in Psalm 22, David feels forsaken by an unresponsive God. And in Psalm 23, he feels shepherded by an ever-attentive God. In Psalm 22, David's soul is in restless agony. And in Psalm 23, his soul is resting in the care of his good shepherd. So in the providence of God, these two are back to back. You read one one, and you got this desolate David writing, um, and the other one you have a a David who feels refreshed and cared for and full of faith. In Psalm 22, David is wondering where God is. In Psalm 23, he confidently says, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me, right? Um, (laughs) But Psalm 22 is capturing him in the shadow of death. And what does he feel like at that point? My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far? You're far from saving me. You're you're not hearing my groanings? Um, Now, the reason this is important is because this is the same person, right? Um, And this is reflective of a saint's very different experience of God. It's at one point in your life, you will, you may feel wonderfully shepherded by a God who you rec- whose faithfulness you recognize. You feel his faith, faithfulness. It's almost tangible. Like you're, you feel his provision. You feel overflowing with gratitude and confident that, that 
you know, no matter what happens, you're going to be with me and, and I will dwell in your house forever. But here in 22, when he's in agony, when his, when his life is being threatened, he's not detecting God at that moment. And what's really profound is Jesus quotes Psalm 22 on the cross. Mm-hmm. David's not, you know, so David isn't merely like prophesying Jesus's um, uh, agony here. He's experiencing something on of his own through which he says this, but God uses it. I mean, he, God put his hand, made it prophetic on, on David, and it's what Jesus said from the cross. And um, that's really profound. And, and we need, this is, this is where we need to have categories in our minds for, for the complexity of God's faithfulness, because it's not a simple thing. And it doesn't always look the same. And just because you might be feeling confident and well cared for at one point, that feels, it feels more like you're, like you're full of faith and it feels like it honors God and, and it does honor God. But when you feel desolate and when you, when experientially it, it seems like God is not there and you cry out in your bewilderment, it doesn't mean you're, you're necessarily doing the wrong thing. Dave is expressing his, what it's what it feels like, what, it, what he's perceiving at the time. The fact that he's crying out to God is showing that he's got faith. He's, but it's a faith that's being pressed. And it can make us cry out in pain. And there's a, the fact that Jesus, who knew exactly what was going on, going, entering, entering the cross portion of his life, the fact that he says that he's... he's <laughs> in some measure, validating what desolation feels like. And he's articulating it himself. God, at that moment, is feeling forsaken by God, which is a, you know, the, puts us in the deep end of the pool. But when we cry out in desolate seasons, God doesn't mean that God is not being faithful to his word. But it means that we can lament. Psalm 22, it teaches us one way to lament and to cry out to God how to express faith when faith is being pressed and when you feel experientially abandoned by God, even though in reality, David was not being abandoned by God, um, any, any more so than he was when he felt what he did when he wrote Psalm 23. And so I, I, the reason I wrote this is because if people feel that they're right now, that they're forsaken by God, I, Jesus understands God, the whole Godhead understands and sympathizes with you more than you, you know. So Psalm 22 may be your lamenting song for a, a spiritual night that you're enduring, but Psalm 23 is going to be your song for an eternal morning. And I end it by saying, and for all your lonely nights or refreshing mornings, he makes this promise of faithfulness. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's Hebrews 13, verse 5. Mm-hmm. So comforting, that last verse, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Really interesting, John, the way you connected the dots between Psalm 
22 and 23. I don't know if I've spent much time thinking about those two back-to-back. Um, I Maybe had, never. I hadn't either. No, uh, okay. it, just, it struck me one morning when I was reading, I think I was reading the Psalms, I, I was reading and read the two and, whoa, uh, it, just, it, it just struck me, you know. So, yeah, it's a... Um, and um, I don't know how much longer we have here before we need to go to the break, but there's a connected devotion, which I have. Um, uh, it's chapter 11. Let's do it. It's we very, got time. It's very similar because, because, and I call this when, when God doesn't appear faithful. All right. Now, now I'm going to jump to where Jesus was on the cross. Um, we're going to go to the cross because... One of the one of the last things Jesus says from the cross is, "Father, into your hands, um, I commit my spirit." Now he's so he 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 may have cried this prayer of desolation from the cross in his agony, but he 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 clearly wasn't losing faith. He th- this statement is a statement of of faith. Mm-hmm. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I'm that's, that's from Luke twenty three forty six, but um, it's. What he's doing is quoting the first half of a verse from Psalm 31. It's, it's Psalm 31, verse 5. And one of the reasons this psalm was, was it was, it's, was pregnant with meaning that we don't, most of us, most of us don't, don't get the connection. But almost every, um, every Jewish listener who heard Jesus say this knew, where that, knew that, that, that prayer, that psalm, by heart, because they would have received it from their fa- from their you know from their biological fathers as they were going to bed. That was a bedtime like a benediction or blessing mm-hmm. for for children. And um, and the interesting thing is what is the part of the verse the verse five uh, Psalm thirty one verse five that Jesus doesn't quote, but all the religious leaders would have known what how that verse finishes, which and it finishes so so. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O faithful God. Which is enough. now you got to think about Jesus being on the cross. He's di- he's being put to death. We all we we're so familiar with the, with what with the meaning. We need to put ourselves there on Golgotha, watching it happen, and everything looks wrong. Okay, so Jesus. Jesus' disciples believe that he, this guy is the Messiah. He's going to, he's the savior of Israel. He's going to come. He's going to be the new, new, you know, uh, the new king that David foreshadowed. He's going to bring the the messianic kingdom. Th- that was their whole expectation. They didn't have in their minds there was going to be this long period of the church age, and there was going to be this. Like, that wasn't part of their understanding back then. So the Jewish, the Jewish leaders thought they're they're getting rid of another false messiah. Another self-proclaimed person, you know, the disciples think it's all, the train just wrecked. It just ran off the rails. Mm -hmm. What's going on? Uh, We thought he was, you know, we know because the two disciples in Acts who Jesus walks along to the road to Emmaus, and here, you know, here we thought he was going to be the redeemer of Israel. He quotes this verse, you have redeemed me, O faithful God. So, so the Jewish leaders who heard him would have thought, what are you saying? You have redeemed me. You're being put to death. Now, the point of this is that from all appearances to everybody but Jesus, and maybe 
one or two people who were discerning and knew what was going on. To everybody else, it looks like this guy's life is coming to a tragic end. This is this whole thing is is coming apart, no matter what you you think about it. God, I mean, if he thinks God is being faithful to him, he's a deluded guy. He's dying um, a criminal's death. It's horrible execution. God is not blessing him. He's not redeeming him. He's killing him. Well, and here's the point. God was acting most faithfully in the very moment that he looked like he was being least faithful to most people's wow. perception. And this is a category we must have in mind. When it looks like it's all going wrong and we want to go, this is, you're just, you know, you're, you've abandoned me. My God, why have you forsaken me? That can, can be what we're seeing in that story, that the, the, the most faithful act God ever did in the, in the sacrifice, sacrificing of his son for the sins of all who would put their trust in him throughout all history, to be faithful to us, he, it looked like he was not being faithful to mm. this person. Jesus knew he was going to be redeemed, he was going to be raised from the dead, and with him would be all those who put their trust in him. So he closes his life by saying, in your hands I commit my spirit for you have redeemed me, O faithful God. That's a really important point. John, great, great line. God was being most faithful when he was appearing least faithful in that moment on the cross. Yeah. Really important for us to yeah. have in our minds for disorienting experiences. Oh, so true. So good. All right, let's take a little break. John Bloom is my guest. He's got a book, his brand new book is called True to His Word, 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. And if you're maybe someone that's been struggling, is God faithful? Is he hearing me? And you're maybe in a time in your life when struggles seem to be every day. This might be a perfect companion for your quiet time in your study. And maybe you've drifted away a little bit from your daily devotion, this would be a great way to get back on track. True to his word, 100 meditations on the faithfulness of God. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. If you just joined us and maybe you're struggling to believe that God is truly faithful, you tuned into the right show at the right time, John Bloom just might have the right word for you. His new devotional is called True to His Word, 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. And God is faithful when he leads you into seasons of spiritual deprivation. Say more about that, John Bloom. So this is another dimension of our lives, um, the lives of faith is we go through, you know, it's, it's given lots of different terms, dry times or, or you know, barren, barren seasons. Um, but, you know, at some point, every Christian, um, at least that I know, has, has gone through these, you know, some form of, of it, just, it just feels like, it just feels barren. You're, you're like, it's like, it's like, it's like, um, you know, your, your soul feels a little more like a desert than a forest or a, or a garden. It feels 
dry. And um, what I what I did was I is I is I wanted to meditate on Psalm sixty three, and and it starts this way: sixty Psalm sixty three, verse one. O God, you are my God; earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you; my my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This is another psalm of David, and he is he, he's 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 a poet. So so, and David is is a good poet, and he is is in some arid place. He we're not sure when this was composed, um, but David was often you know numer- numerous times in his life having to flee an enemy, whether it was Saul or. His son Absalom, or you know, whatever he he was, he he had to go out into the wilderness, fleeing for his life. And um, and I call Dave, what David is describing here. I call it the blessed the blessedness of the barren places, which is an odd thing. It's a juxtaposition of of two different words, blessing. When we think of being blessed by God, we usually have more of a if we have any imagery come into our mind, it would be lush well-watered. Um, we don't think of dry and weary lands as a blessed place. We, see, we, we consider barren places to be... Unblessed. Unblessed. Yes. Now, now the, in the spiritual life, the life of faith, it's often, and I can say this from my own experience, the most blessings that I have received the most insights from scripture the most um the the places where i began to grasp uh, dimensions of god that i hadn't grasped before have always come as a result of some spiritual struggle some barren place it hasn't been the lushest times of my life that mm-hmm. have been the most profound it has often been the barren times and so and so um this is one of those categories we need to de- into to develop in our minds as Christians, because when you're asking for God to bless you, when you want God to draw near, when you want your hunger for God to increase, when you want to bear more fruit and so prove to be his disciples, when you, when you want to learn how to abide in him, and we ask God for that, what we often receive can be really confusing because all of a sudden we find ourselves thrust into some barren place and we start crying out and we're like what's going on you know you're you're giving me the opposite of what i asked for because we envision you know some sweet you know communion with god the sweet lush intangible nearness of god and in his presence and we find ourselves groping for him and seeking him and what he's doing um is and, and, I, and I make an analogy here. Um, our experience of spiritually dry and weary lands produces produces this this the same kind of effect as happens when we are thirsty. So here's the question: When do you really appreciate water? Is it when you've you know you've been drinking all day and you, you got a bottle of water like you and I have here, and, and we're, we're we can sip anytime we want, and we feel hydrated, 
fact, we're probably not even thinking about water. Um, we just take a little drink and we're fine and we're off to... Now, is that when you really appreciate water? Or do you really appreciate water when you are really thirsty and there's no water around and you start looking for it and you start seeking for it hard? Mm-hmm. And then you get some water. Then, then how do you feel? You're like, oh, I love water. <laughs> oh, thank God for water. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I didn't know if I was going to make it. Um, that is, that experience is often what God is doing when he leads us into dry and weary lands where there is no water because you begin to thirst for him. Mm-hmm. And when you thirst for him, you, you, you get your, your appetite. You, all of a sudden you realize how dependent you are on water. You know, physical water and spiritual water. You, you, you recognize how dependent you are on this. You need it for life. And you'll seek it with everything you have until you get it. And God, that's the, that's the blessedness of spiritual deprivation because it's when God kind of gives us this experiential withdrawing. I'm not saying he is actually withdrawing in some sort of spatial sense. It's this, the experience that we have, this phenomenological experience of, of, of his presence, our sense of confidence that he's there and he's with us. When it feels like he's distant, we feel spiritual thirst, we start seeking him. And it starts pushing roots down looking for water, like in, in the soul. And then when we get tastes of him, we start, we go, oh, God, thank you. You know, it's like when you, we were talking about depression earlier. Um, how much do you appreciate hope when you just feel like you're kind of swimming in hope? But when you've tasted what it feels like to be to some degree, like without Hope or ha- having mm-hmm. some kind of a deficit of hope. You feel hope. Like, then hope is sweet. Yeah. When you're in a dark room and then, li- and, then, and then you get light, then you know how valuable light is. <laughs> we need to, if we want to know how valuable God is, we need, we need dry and weary lands spiritually because otherwise you take things for granted and you make assumptions and you don't have empathy with other strugglers and all kinds of, of things that get distorted in the soul. Really, really good work happens in the soul when God allows us to thirst mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. It's like when my heat went out for three days last winter when it was like nine below. Yeah. Then how do you go, thank God yeah. for furnaces that work. <laughs> when it finally got fixed yeah. after three days and you start to feel the heat coming in, yeah. you're, you're ecstatic. Oh, I love heat. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't love heat anymore. Uh, right. Yeah. All right, we only have a couple minutes left. Do we have time for uh, one more, chapter 23? God is faithful when he withholds information from us. Yeah, the, the title of this is, um, Afterward You Will Understand. And I took it from the verse, John chapter 13, verse 7. It's the, it's, it's the uh, Jesus' last di- discourse during the Last Supper. And he goes around, he, he's washing everybody's feet. And Peter says, no, you can't wash mine. You know, I don't want you to degrade yourself. And he says, what I'm doing now, you do not understand, but you, but afterward, you will understand. And my whole point here, I won't go any further than that, other than to say, this is a category in the Christian life. We must, there's times we must learn to trust now and understand later. Oh, I like that. So, so that is one of the categories of faith. If you're, if you're going to 
learn what, what it means to trust God's faithfulness, we must, we must, we must learn the principle that we, there's times we trust now and need to wait for understanding till later. And so that's, that's what that chapter is about is bringing that principle out. I really like that. That is a great way to end this discussion because we always uh, have this anxiety about, I want my, I want to know right now. Yeah. I'll I'll trust, I'll trust, but I really want to know right now. I'll trust when you explain it to me. Yeah. And I always say God has information about my life that I don't have. Exactly. I need to trust now and wait for him to fill in later. Yeah. And and this is to say though, that's very hard. And so those who are going through it, who are feeling this deep groaning, like in fear, just know you're not alone. That's that's a common experience. But God will be faithful yeah. and will tell you later why you mm-hmm. need to be that way. Now, John, I don't know if you want anyone to buy your book, but I'm going to pitch it anyway, if you don't mind. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> John Bloom's book is called True to His Word, 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. I love this book. I know you will too. If you Check it out. want to receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic you can sign up for uh at for the verse of the day at myfaithradio.com i think you should do it i think it's great that wraps up our show for the day and for the week thank you for supporting faith radio see you next week thanks for listening programming like this is made available through your support Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.